Good morning, and it is good to be with you today. I invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Psalm chapter 25. The tech team is doing a great job with that video and everything. They've got the verses too, but I might move a little quick. So I invite you to grab a hard copy or your Bible or your uh, Bible on your phone, and we'll dive into Psalm 25 in just a moment. I do want to say it is good to be with you, worshiping the Lord together today to be praising his name through song and to be hearing testimony of how the Lord is at work around the world uh, and even here in our city. Uh, it is good to hear things like that, to hear of how the Lord is working um, in the lives of others. I do wanna encourage you as well, just real briefly, um, of how the Lord's working in local ministries that we get to partner with here, uh, First Baptist. Uh, there's a team that goes to Revar Juvenile Detention Center each week. And I just wanna give, few updates. There's a group that prays for them multiple times throughout the week, but they're, they're inmates, young men and women that are being saved in the detention center as this team continues to go. And it's good to hear of those things. There's a group of uh, people that uh, gather food and send food out to, to schools that'll be doing that here soon for children that have been identified as going hungry throughout the week. It's called Fuel the Future. But there's a school, there a group of schools, there are three that have asked another organization to bring a good news club to their schools. The, this, this organization sends people to do Bible studies and games with kids throughout the week. And they try hard to get into schools to be able to bring the gospel to, to children. But there are three schools that ask them to bring a good news club into their school because they recognize their good things that come from groups like this. And so we get to partner both with Fuel the Future with bringing food and this organization has asked us to help send people to bring the gospel to children at Laurel Elementary, it used to be SciTech. So there are good things. The Lord has been working in great ways and it's good to be with you this morning as we hear of those things. Uh, would you stand with me as we read from God's word in Psalm chapter 25 today? Psalm chapter 25, starting in verse one. Lord, I appeal to you. My God, I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced and do not let my enemies gloat over me. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. Those who act treacherously without cause will be disgraced. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Remember Lord, your compassion and your faithful love for they have existed from antiquity. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion. In keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity for it is immense. Who is this person who fears the Lord? He will show him the way he should choose. He will live a good life and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him and he reveals his covenant to them. My eyes are always on the Lord for he will pull my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am alone and afflicted. The distresses of my heart increase, bring me out of my sufferings. Consider my affliction and trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, they are numerous and they hate me violently. Guard me and rescue me. Do not let me be disgraced for I take refuge in you. May integrity and what is right watch over me for I wait for you. God redeem Israel from all its distresses. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are a God that is good and upright. Father, that you are full of faithful love 
and truth. And Father, we thank you that you show sinners the way. And we thank you that in every season of life, Father, you are faithful. Lord, your promises are true. Lord, we can build our lives on you, our solid rock, our refuge, and our strength. Father, I pray as we hear from your word today that you would remind us of these truths, that we would be driven to repentance and, Father, to obedience according to your word. We thank you that you call us to those things. And, Father, I pray that uh, as I preach that you give me uh, concision or that you give me clarity and conviction. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've been going through a few verses in 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at salvation and this idea of reclaiming salvation. And Chad just walked us through God's word and allowed God's word to be uh, the thing that guides us, that uh, directs us and corrects us in our understanding of what Jesus actually did for us on the cross. And we spent some time just carefully thinking through what it means to be saved by God. And this week, uh, we begin a new series that we're calling just In the Middle. And again, we're going to God's Word to be uh, the one that, that corrects us and directs us in our life in many seasons of life. As we read this psalm and as we go throughout the next weeks and psalms and proverbs, we'll see how the Bible, how God's Word addresses us in every season of life. It is, somehow seems to cover the gambit of human emotion, the human experience. And this morning, what we're going to be looking at in Psalm 25 is how God is with us in the middle of affliction, in the middle of affliction, in the middle of suffering. So let me begin with this question, a rhetorical question. Okay. Have you ever felt defeated? Have you ever felt so defeated that you wonder if you'll never really bounce back to your old self? And if so, what did, what did you do? And what kept you going on? We feel defeat in really many areas of life, from trivial things to things that seem a little bit more significant for our day-to-day -day routine. And we feel defeat even at times in things that seem eternally significant. Trivially, right, we all know what it's like for our team to lose, right? For the team to walk off the field or the court or be done off the ice for hockey fans, right? And to come off with their head hung down, feeling defeated, knowing they made mistakes, they could have done better, but knowing that they had lost the game, right? Some of us know that feeling more than others with our sports teams, but we know things like that in our, in our sports. More significant things though, you may have felt defeat in the workplace or for students, you may have felt it in the classroom. You may have worked really hard for a kind of promotion or worked really hard on a presentation and just things just kind of fell flat, project fell flat, you might have walked away from a test like I've done many times in my life and be like, that test ate my lunch and felt defeated and deflated like I'm never going to be back to where I was before. And there are times even in our walk before God where we feel defeated. Maybe a season where we struggle with a temptation, with a sin, whatever it may be. We struggle with anger and we know that we lash out against people and it just seems as if we can't shake that emotion. There are times when we may even be tempted to go to certain websites on our devices and it just seems as if we can't resist the temptation and it feels sometimes as if we've been defeated by our sin. In those moments, we need something that gives us hope and we need something to orient us, to correct us and to direct us to know where God is in the middle of those kinds of affliction and to know what he has called us to do in the middle of those seasons. And Psalm 25 meets us in the middle of affliction. 
It's a psalm that was written by David. He, and he was one that knew the goodness of the Lord, but he was also one that struggled deeply with sin. We know the story of how he committed adultery against Bathsheba and then had her husband killed on the front lines of battle. We see how he disobeyed the Lord by taking a census, which seems so, uh, so small to us. And yet we see that he struggled with sins. He wasn't a perfect man, but the Lord had showed him goodness in his life. But in this passage, we see that he's feeling alone and he's feeling afflicted and he's calling out to God in the middle of his affliction because not only does he recognize that he's struggling with sin, but also in this passage, we see a reference to enemies, right? It seems as if David feels like his back is against the wall. He feels alone and afflicted. And we hate it when our enemies seem to rule the day, whether it's our sports teams. And it seems as if Tampa Bay is going to win the NFC South again, right? It's, whether it's something in our workplace or our class. And it seems as if somebody that's doing things without honor is getting promoted while we're trying to do things with honor and don't get the promotion. And it seems sometimes even in our walk with the Lord that the enemy sometimes rules the day. We're tempted to think that the devil is just having his way with us in our temptation. But this Psalm directs us and corrects us to know where the Lord is and where, what we are called to do when we face affliction. And what we're gonna see is to suffer affliction well, we must know God well. To suffer affliction well, we must know God well, because this Psalm orients us to the Lord. It calls us to direct our gaze to God in the middle of a difficult season, which is not always what I want, right? I, I, want, a, I want a checklist. I want a list of steps to complete. And there are certainly things that God has called us to do that we can very, like we can set and we can do, right? But this is not the ultimate goal of this Psalm. This Psalm tells us if we wanna suffer affliction well, we must simply know God well to direct our gaze to the Lord and to allow our longing for God to allow us to endure. And so this passage gives us three truths that help us on that journey today. And the first is this, God forgives in the middle of affliction. On the first reading of this Psalm, you may think that David might be praying in the middle of a war or a battle, right? At various points, he references his enemies. Uh, he worries about disgrace. And we surely know that David faced enemies during his day. He faced enemies when King Saul wanted him dead. He faced enemies when he took the throne and had political enemies with other nations. He had enemies even with, within his own nation of people that wanted him off of the throne, even within his own family as his son turned against him later in life. David knew firsthand what it was like to have enemies. And yet, even as we hear enemies referenced in this passage, it says, if David acknowledges that knowing that that's not the biggest of David's problems. He had bigger fish to fry in many ways because David is crying out in lament because he is recognizing his sin before God. Even in the middle of suffering, he's recognizing his sin before God. His sinfulness seems to be standing in just stark contrast to God's goodness. He's recognizing all the, all the more his neediness as a sinner and his imperfection before a perfect God. And it's in the middle of this affliction when his enemies surround him, he realized that he needed to deal first with falling short of the glory of God. He felt alone and afflicted, head hung down, deflated and defeated in fear of disgrace. And so much so that he began even to fear that God might not even be for him, right? And this is a very significant struggle that David is going through. He knew that God had blessed him. God had set him apart. 
But he was beginning to wonder, we see hints of this, even a kind of doubt in this passage, wondering if, if God was really gonna uphold the promises that he had made to David. Wondering if God was even as good as he said he was. Maybe, maybe you've been there before. You feel so defeated by your own sin that you begin to wonder even if God is with you, if God is for you. We see this kind of hinted at in verse two. He says, my God, I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies gloat over me. It's as if he's wondering, could God actually turn his back on me in the midst of this? Could he turn away from me because maybe I've sinned one too many times? And this is one of the kind of indirect effects of sin on us. Not, not only does a sinful nature cause us to do sinful deeds, right? But it, it, it comes from a sinful heart, a sinful way of thinking. It's the same heart that we actually see. If we think back to the Garden of Eden, right? Think back to Genesis 3, where we see the fall of humanity. Eve and Adam are in the garden and we see this scene with a serpent that comes to deceive. And the whole scene seems to be just painted with sin, right? But after that interaction with Eve, we see that she goes and God had given the whole garden to them, right? And said that it was good. He had capped off his creation with humanity, said all was very good. He had given them all things, said this is all for you, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but everything else is yours, right? And Eve, after being deceived, turns and she looks to the fruit of the tree, sees that it is good. And she said that it says that she saw that it was delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. And after Eve saw, she took the fruit and ate and gave to Adam and he too sinned against God by eating of the fruit. And so the real issue here in this scene is not that they took a fruit and ate it, but it was something that was going on within them, a change of heart within Adam and Eve. Instead of knowing and seeing all that God had given them and what God had told them to do and the way to live and seeing that as good for them, they turned to looking at the fruit and saying, no, that is good for me. They began to think that what God had said was good for them might not actually be as good as he says it is. And maybe even God himself is not as good as he says he is. And this goes to the heart of sin. It's us saying, all right, God, I see what you've done. Cool, cool, cool. But I think I can figure it out, right? Like I think I can go in my own direction and I know what's best for me. And it's from this improper mindset, this kind of injustice, right? Where God is worthy of all of our worship, worthy of our lives. When we deny him what he is due, it is from that that we fall into all kinds of sinful deeds. And it's from this foundation of deception that we may even begin to wonder as David is wrestling with here, as Adam and Eve began to wonder in our own lives, is God really as good as he says he is? Like, could he allow me, someone that's trying to live for him, could he allow me to like, just, is he just gonna turn his back on me? and forget me? Will I be mocked and humiliated for my faith with really nothing to show for it? Maybe you're there today and maybe you're facing a kind of affliction that you've never faced before. Maybe it's a new kind of sin that you're struggling with. Maybe it's an apathy towards your faith, or maybe you are facing a strong kind of opposition from the outside, a kind of op opposition we've even referenced in the past few weeks of many of you are in situations where living faithfully to what the Bible tells us might even punish you in your job. And you begin to wonder, God, are you really with me in this? Are you really for me? 
And what we see in, we're going to see in our next truth is that there is hope for us in this kind of affliction. But as God's word consoles us today in our suffering, let it also serve as a warning to us today. Because our passage addresses all of these worries and looks at these things as we face them in our own life. But it does, does so by showing us how to respond to God. Look at verse 11 in chapter 25. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. It's as if David is saying, in the midst of all this affliction, all the suffering that I'm going through, what I really need to address is my heart before God. Before I ask that God take away a certain circumstance or situation, my desire is that I live purely before the Lord. John Calvin said it this way, when any outward affliction presses upon us, we must entreat God not only to deliver us from it, pretty much saying whenever there's a, a period of affliction going on our, in our life, we shouldn't just pray that God would take it away, but it goes on, but also to blot out our sins by which we have provoked his displeasure and subjected ourselves to his chastening rod. It's in the middle of these afflictions that yes, as we have seen, sin is absolutely present. And we see that, that David in the middle of this and the, the enemies that he's facing and the trials that he's in, his first response is to say, Lord, cleanse me, work on me because I'm broken before you. And so as we see this, God forgives in the middle of affliction. God forgives in the middle of affliction. But our second truth today is that God is good in the middle of affliction. And that is good news for us today. God is good in the middle of affliction. He's gracious and he is merciful. And so even in the midst of his trials, David can still affirm his trust in the Lord. As important as, important as repentance is for our prayers in the middle of affliction, we need something in which we can place our hope. We need something to lift us up from despair. And we find it in affirming our trust and who God actually is. Look at verse two, he says, my God, I trust in you. Later down in verse six, remember Lord, your compassion and your faithful love for they have existed from antiquity. In the greatest sense, we see that God is good. Look at verse eight, the Lord is good and upright. Therefore he shows sinners the way. David's response in the middle of affliction was to ask for forgiveness for his own sin, to seek purity of heart, and then to focus on who God is. That is his response in the middle of affliction because he recognizes there's healing and there's comfort in dwelling on the truth of who God is, even when it doesn't seem apparent to us in the moment, right? And the more of a, a just kind of really small way, right? I see this kind of thinking uh, as I've gotten into running here recently. If you told me a few years ago, I'd be a runner, I thought you'd be crazy, especially moving down to New Orleans, but it's something I've enjoyed. Uh, I really like to go and park at City Park, go down Wisner by Bayou St. John, just head north and come back. It's one of my favorite things to do. But there've been a lot of times in the heat and in the suffering and affliction of running, right? That I get about halfway through my run. I'm like, why am I, why am I doing this? But is there any, is there any point to what I'm doing and I'm faced with, do I keep running or do I take forever to just walk back in my shame? I was like, well, I guess I better keep running. But in the midst of that, what gives me a sense of motivation is like one, there's a water bottle waiting for me in my car. And two, it's actually good for me to do, do this, to be on a run. It's good for my heart, good for all kinds of things in my body, right? And so I, I press on. In an infinitely greater way, we see something kind of like this in our walk with the Lord when we go through periods of affliction, when we wonder, is this even worth it? Is God even there? Does he even care what we're walking through? In the same way that I didn't have water with me, but I knew it was coming, God might not give us the kind of relief that we want in the moment. But David's response in this passage is not to say, God, just get me out of this situation. His response is I'm dwelling on who the Lord is and I'm trusting in that. I'm trusting on his goodness and his truth. 
Just as I knew that a run was good for me, even though I didn't feel it in the moment, we can trust that God knows the seasons of life that we're in. When we face affliction, he knows it. And he allows us to go through certain things, even for our good, even when we don't understand. And this Psalm also calls us to not just dwell on the goodness of the Lord when we face affliction, but to respond to God's grace in the middle of those seasons, to face suffering with a heart that is longing for the Lord. And we see this in verse four, and we confess that we, in, in, in a time when we need to focus on the truth of who God is, we must have God tell us. We, must, we need the Lord to know who he is. Look at verse four, make your ways known to me, Lord, and teach me your paths. This is his request in the middle of affliction. And we see these things. We see the truth of who God is in his word, simply by opening the Bible, even to this very passage, we receive a kind of knowledge that was powerful to strengthen us to endure any season. We've seen this in verse eight, the Lord is good and upright. He's one that is good in the fullest sense of the word. He's upright, this idea that he's just and he's faithful and he's true. Verse nine, he leads the humble in what is right. He honors a broken spirit before him and leads his people. Verse 10, all the, way, all the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth. He's one that doesn't go back on his promises. He is one that is true. This is the God that we need in the middle of affliction. And so the Psalm calls us to ask for forgiveness in the middle of affliction, but also to remember the Lord is good in the middle of affliction. So how often is this your response in a difficult season? I'll be very honest. This is rarely my first response. In the, in the middle of a hard season to simply, when, like when trials come, to simply remember the Lord is good and trust him in that and to begin there and to go to him in prayer. If I'm facing a time when it seems like there are people that are just giving me a hard time for my faith, usually what I wanna do is go do some research, go find some answers, find the best answer, find the silver bullet to give to them, to make them shut up and then everything's okay, right? That's what I want to do in my own life. But God calls us through his word, even in this, to simply trust the Lord, that he is good and he is with us. There's a place for arguments, but first begin, the Lord is good. And seasons when I'm struggling with sin, like it, there's seasons where, where I feel as if I'm just kind of apathetic to my faith. I'm not praying in the way that I should. I'm not reading the word in the way that I should. Sometimes my first response is to open my calendar before I open God's word. And say, if I can just move some scheduling blocks around, I can fulfill my responsibilities to family and work and school, get all that figured out, put some blocks in for quiet time, and that will restore my spirit. And I'm slow to remember that the Lord is good. I trust in him and I need him. As verse four says, I need to cry out, make your ways known to me, Lord, and teach me your paths. The reason our first response should be to dwell on who God is in the midst of affliction is not because positive thinking in itself is the solution, but because we know God truly in his word and that orients us to know how to think about ourselves as creatures created in the image of God that are dependent on the Lord. And dwelling on who God is reminds us of his goodness, even when his goodness isn't apparent to us in our circumstance, because to suffer well, we must know God well. This leads to our third truth today. God rescues his people from the middle of affliction. God forgives in the middle of affliction. God is good in the middle of affliction. And we can trust that God rescues his people from the middle of affliction. Knowing our need for forgiveness and dwelling on the Lord's goodness will ultimately, ultimately lead us to, as David does here, dwelling on the Lord's 
salvation because God's salvation is what we need in times of suffering. God's salvation is the way that he shows that he's gracious in the middle of affliction. God's salvation is more than just a solution to the immediate problem that we find ourselves in. It's more than just a relief from a circumstance. It's more than a silver bullet argument to silence our opposition. It's more than the knowledge of how to fit God into a busy schedule because we need God's salvation. We need to be restored completely. David recognizes this in our passage today in verses 16 through 21. It's as if this is the climax of his lament before God. He's affirmed his trust in the Lord. He's asked for forgiveness. And now he's just laying his heart bare for what's going on in his life. Verse 16, he says, turn to me and be gracious to me. He says, for I'm alone and afflicted. Lord, I feel like my back's against the wall. Verse 17, he says, my, the distresses of my heart increase. Bring me out of my sufferings. He's going through a hard season. Verse 19, consider my enemies. They are numerous and they hate me violently. It seems as if David is wondering where his hope could be, but the way that he asked for relief in this section is key for us today. When he lays his heart bare for the, the sufferings that he's going through, the, what he asked for from God will direct us and correct us today. Look at verse 18. This is what he says. Consider my affliction and trouble and forgive all my sins. He doesn't say consider my affliction and trouble and destroy my enemies completely and that's it. He doesn't say consider my affliction and trouble and remove me from the situation. He says, consider my affliction and trouble and forgive all my sins. Verse 21, he's desiring integrity in what is right. He wants to live purely before the Lord. Verse 20, he wants God to be the one to do it. Guard me and rescue me and do not let me be disgraced for I take refuge in you. David knows that even in the midst of this affliction, he knows that the greatest need that he has more than relief from his circumstance is the forgiveness of his sins before God, that he might know God truly so that he can suffer affliction well. This, this idea is seen in something that I've seen with the International Mission Board recently. They do such great work with sending missionaries, but also training churches and giving resources to churches to know how to fulfill the Great Commission. And something I've seen on their website and print materials online, all, everything that they do, I see these two sentences. It says, the greatest problem in the world is lostness. And the only solution to the problem is the gospel. The greatest problem in the world is lostness. And the only solution to the problem is the gospel. What, what a statement, right? Don't, doesn't the International Mission Board, don't they know of all the troubles in the world, right? Like there are multiple armed conflicts in the world and the greatest problem is lostness. There are crime rates soaring in cities across our nation, across the world, like here in New Orleans. Don't they know, how, how, could, how could they say the greatest problem is lostness? They know of even skyrocketing cases in the last few years of mental health issues and teenagers, depression and anxiety and suicidal ideations, all these things in the last few years. Don't they know that? Like, how could they say that lostness is the greatest problem in the world? They can say this because they know what Jesus said later in Mark chapter seven is true, that nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus is saying, it's not just the things that we see on the outside. It's not just the opposition that we face. It's not just the things that we see in the news that show us that our world is broken. Jesus says it's something within each and every one of us, something that went back to the garden. 
of us not recognizing who we are as creatures, believing that we know what is good and we have fallen into brokenness and to sin. And that, from that, produces all kinds of evil in the world. Jesus knew that to be true. The International Mission Board, God's word recognizes that that is true. David recognized that that was true in his moment. So in the middle of affliction, he doesn't say, God, just get me out of this. He said, God, I need you. I need you to teach me who you are. I need you to cleanse me and purify me, to give me a new heart. And we see that God has done this. He forgives in the middle of affliction. He is good in the middle of affliction. And finally, we have seen that he rescues his people from affliction ultimately in Christ. God has answered David's prayer in Christ because God saw our brokenness that we had fallen away from his good design in sin, but sent his son, Jesus, for our salvation. God has given us salvation in Jesus Christ who came and lived perfectly, died on our behalf, forgiving us of our sin. He was buried for three days, but rose again, defeating death. He ascended to the Father with the promise he would return so that we can turn and place our faith in him to have relief in our circumstances, not just in the immediate circumstance, but for the ultimate problem, the greatest problem in the world, the greatest problem with us in our own affliction is lostness. And the only solution to the problem is the gospel. David knew this in this day. And so his response in the midst of affliction was that the Lord would save him. The Lord would forgive him. Not just that he would find relief from his enemies, but he would find relief from his own brokenness, the world's greatest problem. And he asked for it, not because David had done anything, but he asked for it based on who God was. With the knowledge of the truth of who God was, he bases his forgiveness on that. Look at verse six. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love, for they have existed from antiquity. Not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion in keeping with your faithful love. Remember me because of your goodness. David says, because of who you are, because you are good, forgive me of my sins. And so in the middle of all kinds of affliction, the gospel gives us what we need. We need forgiveness. We need to know the goodness of God. And we need to know that God rescues us from our affliction. He gives us his presence in the middle of our pain. He gives us comfort in the middle of chaos. He gives us mercy in the middle of our mistakes. And so because God forgives in the middle of affliction, and he is good in the middle of affliction and he saves in the middle of affliction. What should we do? What exactly should our mindset be with these things? We see a couple things in the Psalm this morning. First is to fear the Lord, to fear the Lord. We see this in verses 12 through 15. Who is this person who fears the Lord? David says, he will show him the way he should choose. He will live a good life and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he reveals his covenant to them. My eyes are always on the Lord for he will pull my feet out of the net. This idea of fearing the Lord is seen all throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. We see in the book of Ecclesiastes, a book that laments the, the apparent vanity of just all that we do on this earth. And yet it ends and says, so what should we do? And it says, fear the Lord. See, Proverbs in the beginning says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Later, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Book of Job ends with Job recognizing who he is before God, even in the midst of his sufferings. He said, I need to fear the Lord. And so what David is reminding us today is that if we want the good life, if we want a life that can endure affliction well, we must fear the Lord. To have the utmost reverence for God, to know who we are in light of him. We are not God. We do not have complete control over our circumstance, but we serve a God who does and who knows all things. 
And so we're called to fear the Lord in the midst of affliction and remember who we are before him. But not only that, David also calls us to wait on the Lord. And if I'm honest, this is the most annoying part of my sermon is that the Lord has called us to wait on him. Waiting is like the ultimate form of trust and loyalty is waiting, releasing control when I won't control and saying, God, I trust you even in the midst of this affliction saying, God, even though I don't understand, even though, as David says, it seems like enemies are around me. It seems like I'm alone and I'm afflicted. It seems as if this sin that just keeps coming back. It just seems like it's getting the better of me. Father, I confess that. And it says, God, I'm waiting on you. I want to experience your rescue. I want to experience your relief, but God, I'll wait on you. We see that God desires this of us in the middle of our affliction and the way that that is done. I mean, look at this whole Psalm, right? This is not something that was written so that David could put it in a book, get it published and get really famous on whatever he would be famous on, right? And it wasn't something that he would just write down to, to give one time. This is a prayer. The way that David is waiting on the Lord. We see this in verse three, no one who waits for you will be disgraced. We see this idea that he's waiting on God. The way he's doing this is through prayer. The verse one says, Lord, I appeal to you. It's this idea of he's lifting up his heart bare before the Lord. And that's how he is waiting on the Lord. And so for some of us today, this is the call. As we've seen how God forgives in the middle of affliction, how God is good in the middle of affliction and how God rescues in the middle of affliction. For some of us, this may be a call for us to go to him in prayer. You may be in a season of affliction and suffering right now, either from the outside or from within in your own struggles with sin and be wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you allowing me to go through a season like this? The response for some of us might be to pray to go to the Lord, lay our hearts bare before him. David's not holding back in this Psalm and saying, God, this is where I'm at. This is, these are the thoughts that I'm having. These are the questions I have, but God, I trust you. And Lord, I'm waiting on you. So too, for some of you, this might be a call from God's word today to profess your faith in Christ for the first time to say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I'm trying to figure things out myself. I'm trying to go through this life on my own power, but I recognize as David did here in this Psalm that I need your forgiveness before I need an answer to my situation. I need purity of heart that I can only find in Jesus Christ before I need a calendar that is well-ordered. And so in a moment, we're gonna be singing a song. This space will be open for you for prayer, for I'll be up here to, to speak about or walk with Christ. But before we do that, we're gonna go uh, to the Lord's prayer, to the Lord's prayer, to the Lord's supper and to communion. So would you pray with me as we transition to that time? Father, we thank you this day for your word and how it meets us in every season. Father, how you have blessed us beyond measure in your son. Lord, you have given us everything we need, as Peter says, for life and for godliness in you. And so, Father, when we come to seasons of affliction, we know, Father, that we can trust in you even when reasons for affliction and reasons for suffering don't seem apparent to us. God, we, we, we confess that we need you. If we wanna suffer affliction well, we must know you well. So Father, thank you for your word, how you make yourself known to us in your word, where we thank you for your spirit that walks with us as we go. And we thank you for your son, Lord, who gave his life for us that we might be forgiven. So Lord, uh, be with us in this time as we respond. Help us to pray faithfully. 
to lift our hearts up to you in Jesus' name, amen. So we've heard this morning from God's word about his rescue and about his forgiveness. We are reminded of the cross of Christ, of how Jesus willingly, the Bible says, set his face towards Jerusalem and intentionally went to the cross for our sake. And we're gonna remember that this morning with the Lord's Supper. If you didn't get some of the elements, just raise your hand and there'd be people that can pass those out to you. But this is a time for those that have believed in Christ to remember the death of Christ and to enjoy this meal together as we reflect on the gospel together. If you are one that hasn't placed your faith in Christ yet, this uh, we would ask you to help us honor this meal, but not taking of the elements, but reflecting on them and considering them and thinking very carefully about what they mean as we take them. So as we prepare to go, let me pray one more time as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. God, we thank you for this table. God, we thank you that you have given us the supper of the bread and the cup to remember what Christ has done and to enjoy this as a family together, to rejoice, uh, Father, in, in the gospel, to rejoice in the forgiveness that you have given us. So be with us as we do. Help us to do this to your glory in Christ's name, amen. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you profess the Lord's death until he comes. Take it and drink. As I said, this is a time for us to respond to God's word. This space is open if you want to pray or talk about walking with Christ, but I invite you to stand as we sing to glorify the Lord together.